0: Well, how many of you have ever heard the phrase, you never get a second chance to make a first impression? Anybody ever heard that before? First time I heard that, I think it was back on some sort of commercial, deodorant commercial back in the 90s. You often think about it on first dates or when you're first meeting someone or that big job interview. But I would venture to say that though we declare that uh, and though we know it, we all blow it and we all need second chances. And though we don't ever get second chances to make first impressions, I believe that by the grace of God, we all get second chances. We all get second chances. Uh, I believe that God tells us in his word that we get second chances. And so if you're here today and you've blown it in some area, uh, be it relationally or uh, maritally as a parent or wherever it is in business, and you think, man, I don't know if God would give me a second chance Trust me, Genesis 21, 23 through 34 will tell you that you get second chances to make a God impression. And what I wanted to talk to you about, the the handout differs a little bit from the the, uh, overhead there, but it's about a second chance to bring glory to God, a second chance to live at peace with others, and then we'll apply that to our life. We all need second chances. We are imperfect people. And we need second chances. And we, the question we're going to ask is, does God give us second chances? Well, he gave them to Jonah. You saw that text that Adam read. It says, and the word of the Lord came again to Jonah. And so he had given him his word once. And you know what happened then? Jonah ran from God. He went down into Joppa, down into a boat. And he got down in the bottom of the boat. And that was to show you he was going away from the Lord. But God gave him a second chance to make a God impression. And he gives us second chances And so I'm going to show you today from the text where God gives us second chances. In Genesis 21, starting in 22 there, what we see is we're going to see Abraham reconcile with Abimelech. And a proverb kind of summarizes this whole section. It says, When a man's ways please please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Proverbs 16, 7. And so what we begin with is God is glorified when his people live upright among others. And you see this and it says, At that time Abimelech and Phicol the commander of his army. And what that is to do is to send us back. We've heard Abimelech before and so we're to look back and say yes. Chapter 20, there was this time where Abraham journeyed towards the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur and he sojourned in Gerar. And it says in verse 2 that Abimelech was the king of Gerar. And so it's at that time that Abimelech says to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. That Abraham, though he had blown it with Abimelech originally, we look back there and we saw that it was God's grace in revealing sin, it was God's grace in rebuking the sinner, and it was God's grace in the restoration of the sinner so that he could be a witness to, to the unbeliever. And so Abraham, since that time, has been living in such a way that says, God is with you in all that you do. And I wanted to show you that First Peter... Uh, Those two verses, again, to show us that this isn't just something for Abraham. This is something that relates to us as well. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, Abraham sojourned in Gerar, so we sojourn on the earth, and exiles, to abstain from passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see that Abraham had been living in such a way that this man, Abimelech, whom he had deceived before, said to him, God is with you in all you do. I see your life and I see God. You could say that Abimelech would be saying to Abraham, you've let your light so shine before men that I've... I give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5.16, long before Jesus said it. And so what you see here is in verse 23, Abimelech sees Abraham's life in such a way that it's bringing glory to God that he wants to do business with him. And he says, now therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me. Why did he have to say that? Because if we go back to Genesis 20, Abraham had dealt falsely with him. He had lied about his wife, Sarah, and said he was his sister. And it had caused turmoil and trouble in Abimelech's life. So he's kind of saying, Abraham, you remember, you know, let's not go there again. And God will bring us back to the same situation in our life so that we learn to live by grace and for his glory. And so in this present agreement, he's... He, he says, Abraham, let's, let's not work like we worked in the past. Let's do something different. And he says this in, with such confidence that he says, don't deal do- falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. It's the idea that he said, I know God is with you, and I know you worship the eternal God, and he's doing something that I'm not only making this agreement with you, but I'm making this agreement with our gen- the generations to come. But as I have dealt kindly with you, that at the end of that chapter 20, Abimelech had dealt kindly with him and and led him to live in the land. So deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And it says in 24, Abraham said, I will swear. And so God's people who live by faith take advantage of second chances. That we are all given second chances. The question is, what do we do with them? And a quick application of that is is that we glorify God in our second chances and we take advantage of them for His glory and others' good. And so here He is making a business deal. It's a wise thing to do in this arid climate to make a business deal with those of the land to uh, secure water rights for your animals. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, doesn't the Bible say that we shouldn't be unequally yoked uh, or we should be une we shouldn't be equally yoked with unbelievers. It absolutely does say that, so can we make covenants with unbelievers? Well, yes and no um, just a two minute rabbit trail here to summarize this. We make agreements all the time, and we make banking agreements, rental agreements with our cleaners and so if we take this to the extreme there are two extremes it's never ever make an agreement with anyone who doesn't know jesus and then it's always make agreements with anyone and it doesn't matter well there's the balance in between there that we just it's a there's wisdom in how we go in and making our agreements i would venture to say that where i take my clothes to get them cleaned i am in agreement with them for services due but i don't believe they know the lord jesus christ do i not go to them now we get, that's another sermon for another day, but the principle here is God uses some business deals, not all, some business deals as opportunities for us to glorify him. That's what he's doing here. And so he says, God, Abimelech says, God is with you. I see it in your life. You're, you're living in such a way that you bring glory to God. And though he does that, we see that he needs to live at peace with Abimelech. And that's what 25 through 34 is about. We have a second chance not only to glorify God, but to live at peace with others. Look at verse 25. It says, when Abraham reproved Abimelech, or when he complained, uh, the New American, the NIV, and all the others say complained, I think that's a... uh, a better word because, and, and complain really isn't even the best, but it, it's, it's, he's bringing a legitimate concern to Abimelech. He's saying, L- I'm trying to discern, determine what is right here. And so before we can ratify this covenant, let's talk about this well of water that Abimelech's servants have seized. And Abimelech said in verse 26, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until this day. This is the idea that, that Abimelech is saying, man, I'm, I'm ignorant of the situation. Now, if you read some people on this, some on one side say, yeah, I think he's just pulling Abraham's leg because look at Genesis 26. Others saying, this is just a guy who didn't know that this had happened, and he'll do whatever it takes to make it right, as you can see in 27. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech and the two of them made a covenant. That's how they did it in that, those days. Today, these days, we, we, they used to do it with sheep and with, with oxen and then we've moved to, it used to be the handshake, right? My g- word is my bond and there was a handshake. Today, we've moved to paper, pen, dotted line. It's called the contract. So that's what they're making here. And Abraham goes a l- step further And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And so they're putting this agreement together with cattle or with oxen and sheep. And then Abraham comes over and he brings seven of these lambs. And it causes Abimelech to ask a question. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you, you have set apart? And Abraham said, These seven, you lambs, you will take from my hand that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. I, I think the New Living Translation says it best. Please accept these seven lambs to show your agreement that I dug this well. Please take this as an as an offering to show this is my well. This is not your well. Let's let's get everything out on the table and let's get it right. And then we can make an agreement. Well, obviously in 31, they made the agreement. It says, therefore, the place was called Be'er Sheba, or Be'er Sheba, which means the place of the seven lambs, or the place of the oath. And this place is where the covenant is ratified, and this place is, would become a prominent place in Israel's history. So much so that in 2 Samuel 3, when they're describing the land, it says, from as far north as Dan down to Be'er Sheba. And he called on the name uh, or here and bu- because both of them swore an oath, so they they make an oath here at this well, everything gets out on the table, they make it right, and then it moves on to say, so they made a covenant at Beersheba, Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his armies, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines, and so they they come together. Things are surfaced, and you see that you have second chances. I have second chances. We all have second chances to make God impressions. Abraham had been living such a way that he brought glory to God that Abimelech was wanting to be in relationship with him. And then once they make this agreement, you see that Abraham doesn't stop living that way. Look at verse 33. Abraham planted a tree. uh, it's called a Tamarisk tree. Now, a lot of people say, oh, see, here goes Abraham. He's now worshiping other gods. That's just not true. Continue reading on. He planted a tree in Beersheba and called thereon the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. One note says, the planting of the Tamarisk tree is a sign of Abraham's intent to stay for a long time, not a religious act. A growing tree in the Negev would be a lasting witness to God's provision of the water. And so he's not mixing anything here. What he's doing is he's putting down a tree in that arid and dry climate near where those waters of well are. He's saying God's going to do, he has done a great work and he's going to do a great work. And so it's an acknowledgement that we're only going to get this water by God's grace. It's acknowledgement to God's grace in His own life, and it's an acknowledgement to God's or Abraham's trust in God for the long haul. Look at how He describes God there, and He called there on the name of Yahweh, the everlasting God. Every now and then in the Bible, especially in Abraham's life, we're given. Insights into the names of God to show who He is. In fourteen eighteen, we get here is a Melchizedek, priest of the God Most High, Elohim Most High, El Elyon. And then in seventeen one, I love how that chapter begins. And Abraham was ninety nine years old, and the Lord Yahweh appeared to Abraham and said, "I am God Almighty, El Shaddai." And here Abraham calls on. El Olam. it's the Hebrew term for the day longer than 24 hours into eternity. And he says, I'm calling upon this eternal God. The eternal, almighty, most high God is the one who is with me and will be with me. I can live in this land and be a bold peacemaker. I can be a bold witness for Jesus, or in his case, for Yahweh. For us, we can look back and say, yes, those names... God is over all other things in my life. God is all-powerful and can work in my life. And God is not just a God who's here today, gone tomorrow. He's here forever. He's been around forever, and He's here forever. And so if the first application was God gives us second chances, let's glorify Him in them, the second here is when we go to make those, uh, those agreements or when we go to work out, whether it's a marital relationship or it's with a, our, our child, whatever it is, let's get everything on the table and glorify God in the commitment. And then once you do that, there's this peace-loving, long-term view of life that God eternal is going to do a great work through us for the good of the earth and for His glory. And So those sitting here in this hearing would have heard this and said, Wow, they're encouraged that here's the leader of the nation, the forefathers of the nation, who, never, who didn't always do it right, but they never gave up on God. And they went back and they made the right adjustments to live peaceably in the promised land. And it's an interesting insight because the first time he's with Abimelech, the, the issue was on the seed. Sarah, he had lied about Sarah, and it was, a, it was almost this I, the idea that the promised seed may not have happened had God not intervened. Here, it's with the land, and so if you back up and you take a look at it, this promise that he gave Abraham and 12, land, seed, and blessing, is starting to be played out. I'm going to take care of the seed, I'm going to take care of the land, and you will be a blessing to all the nations. And so like those listening to Moses, we must rely on a sovereign God who's most high, who's almighty, who's everlasting, that enables us to live peacefully in times of our sojourn, our exile. And I wanted to look at 1 Thessalonians 4 just to see that Paul said the same thing. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Paul's saying, Macedonians, I so see that you're in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Your love overflows, and it's it's going out as a witness. I urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Don't rest on your past work, is what he's saying. Don't say, you know, you've lived for Jesus for 30 years. You're going to coast for the next 30. He says, do so more and more. I love the New American Standard. It says, excel still more. Don't slow down. And he says, I want you to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we've instructed you with a purpose, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And so there's a there's relationships inside the household of God, and there's relationships outside the household of God. And so if you're following along in the outline, We have second chances to bring glory to God, amen? God is doing a great work in you, says Abimelech. Secondly, we have second chances to make peace with others. The second chance applications are this. We can't do outside the house of God if we're not doing it inside the house of God. Paul told uh, Timothy, make sure you're managing your own household because if you can't manage your own household, you can't be a leader in the church. You can expand that application to say if we're not really hitting it inside the household of God, it does no good how how wonderful we are outside the household of God. That inside the household of God, as Abimelech had seen Abraham's life progress and change, so we need to see each other progress and change. In fact, Timothy says, keep yourself a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, that all may see your progress. 1 Peter or 2 Peter says, for if these qualities are yours in increasing, 1 Peter or excuse me, 2 Peter 1 8, if these are yours in increasing, are, are things increasing in our life? Can people see the progress? That's specifically First Timothy four fifteen and 16 is, can people see progress in my life as a pastor? Make sure you're making progress because if they can, then he goes on to say, for by doing so, if you persist in this, you will save not only yourself, but your hearers. Not in a salvific sense, but you'll be used in God's salvation plan to preach the word progress in these things. And so the idea behind this is God gives us second chances to bring him, him glory. God gives us second chances to make peace. We've got to start inside the household of God. But as 1 Thessalonians four eleven and 12 says, we do so that others outside the household would say, why wouldn't I want to be a part of that group? They're living in such a way that they would say, just like Abimelech, God is with you in all that you do. And so I want you to know that I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. So I'd encourage you to just think through it starting with at home. Is it do I need to do I need to sit and visit with my spouse or do I need to sit and visit with my kids? Do I need to sit and visit with business relationships? Do I need to sit and visit with somebody else in here? Because when we when we mess up, that's not good. But we serve a gracious God who gives us second chances to make God impressions. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word that we can follow it and see that you don't ever give up on us. And I pray that we would, uh, in our own lives, see where you want us to to do right and to make progress and to live as lights in the nation and also lights in our own house. I pray, Lord, that you would use your word mightily in the lives of everyone here today. I pray that we would aspire to live quietly and uprightly in the land, so that we'd be a witness to those outside the household of God. Father, you are so good to us. I pray that you would enable us to to bring you glory as we do good to others. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.